I'm Jordan, a podcast in the latest developments in Jordanian politics, featuring interviews with experts from across Hash and my kingdom. My name is Aaron Maggot, a former Mon-based journalist now in Washington. In June 2021, King Abdullah tasked former Prime Minister Samir Rafai with assembling a royal committee to modernize the political system. The committee submitted its recommendations in October. Since then, the Jordanian media has moved on to other topics, including Amman's drug war along the Syrian border, Ramadan tensions in Jerusalem, and rising prices across the kingdom. This week's episode will focus on the impact of last year's Royal Committee, along with the efforts of many years to advance political reform and establish a strong independent parliament. There's no better guest for this topic than Moran Moasher. Dr. Moasher's resume includes serving as Jordan's foreign minister, deputy prime minister, and ambassador to the United States. He is the author of the Arab Center, The Promise of Moderation, along with the Second Arab Awakening and the Battle for Pluralism. Currently, Dr. Moasher is a vice president at Carnegie. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. How would you assess the Royal Committee for modernizing the political laws framework nearly one year after its recommendations were submitted? Without going into the specifics of every recommendation, because there are issues that I disagree with, but I think the very fact that the committee asked for a transition from Jordan's present political system to a political party-based system is in itself a positive uh, move. Another positive move has been that these now have been enshrined in law. So the recommendations have made their way into uh, laws, not just recommendations. My real concern remains with the willingness of the political system to actually go through the implementation of of this process. In the past, the status quo forces in the country have always stood against real reform and have done so through various means. That remains my concern more than the recommendations of the committee itself, which in my view are in general positive. What are the most significant political changes Jordan needs to make? I think we need a situation where the executive branch is no longer dominant. We need a system of checks and balances where all the branches of government have equal power and where the executive branch stops to be dominant in deciding all things large and small. If that uh, takes place and if we move towards a political party-based system such that there is collective monitoring and collective supervision uh, of government's work, then I think we would have done well in transitioning the country from its present state to a more pluralistic state. Whether that is going to happen is not clear yet. I think the system still adheres to power and is very reluctant uh, to share that power uh, with anyone. Uh, And the political process so far has been a rather or, you know, the political space has been uh, rather closed. As I said, I think there are some indications that uh, at least with these recommendations making their way into law, that this might actually uh, change. But because we have gone through the process before, I remain a bit reluctant in passing judgment before I see things actually happen on the ground. After so many initiatives for Jordanian political reform, last year's Royal Committee, the efforts in the wake of the 2011 Arab Spring protests, and the national agenda in 2005, the Hashemite Kingdom still remains not free, according to Freedom House's most recent annual report. So some argue that Jordan's ruling system is not interested in genuine reform, and therefore any effort pushing for a strong independent parliament while limiting the role of other institutions is bound to fail. What do you think? Uh, So far, the dominant view among uh, decision makers in the country is that the 
cost of reform is too high and that no matter how bad things are, uh, that undergoing a serious political reform process would end up in, st- in instability and would not be good for the country. I, of course, subscribe to the opposite view. I don't think that the status quo is sustainable, uh, both politically and economically. Our economic situation uh, is, is bad. Youth unemployment is at 50%, 5-0. General unemployment is at 25%. Uh, we are having to deal with one crisis after the other, COVID, Uh, the Russia-Ukraine crisis, the rise in food prices, the rise in energy prices. Uh, Our debt levels are are at a record high. Our uh, unemployment is at a record high and our inflation is at a record high. So all of these things require serious attention and a serious process, not a cosmetic one. My own experience with the national agenda makes me a bit reluctant, like I said, to pass view. What is needed in Jordan is not the coming up of plans, but rather uh, a serious implementation of these plans, and that remains to be seen. Many agree that Jordan needs economic reform, especially given the 23% official unemployment rate and the large national debt. But some argue that Jordan doesn't need urgent political changes, since the kingdom is much more stable than neighboring Syria and Iraq. Why do you disagree? We are going to face a situation where more economic uh, hardships will come our way and more economic sacrifices will need to be made. We are not receiving foreign aid uh, at the levels we used to before. Transitioning to a self-reliant economy is going to mean uh, that people will have to have more economic sacrifices. Doing that without a political process that makes people feel they are part of the decision-making process and not just asked to pay more taxes when things uh, go bad, is crucial. I'm not talking about a political reform process just for its own sake, but in the absence of a political reform process, people will not feel they are sharing uh, in decision-making and will be less inclined to accept uh, any further increases in taxes or the like. Uh, The absence of strong parliaments and the continued dominance of the executive branch, people will also feel that uh, they are being squeezed beyond what they can do. For all these reasons, I think that an economic reform process has to go hand in hand with a political reform process if social peace is to be maintained. What political changes does Jordan need to make to address the perceived inequalities between Jordans of East Bank background and those of Palestinian origin? Equality before the law has to extend not just to Jordanians regardless of their uh, origin, but regardless of their gender, regardless of their religion, regardless of their social status, regardless of their political thought. And whereas the Constitution guarantees equality for Jordanian citizens, particularly and explicitly uh, when it comes to origin, this is not really practiced in our laws. Uh, The electoral law, for example, is one where uh, Jordanians of Palestinian origin are severely uh, underrepresented. I think that any society, for it to proceed, uh, for it to transition not just to stability but to prosperity, needs to treat all its citizens are equal. That is a fundamental and necessary condition 
for progress and for uh, prosperity in the future. I don't see that that is being fully uh, implemented now. Are there other laws that would need to be changed besides the election law that would address equality of Jordanians irrespective of national origin? Well, it's not just laws, but, but it's also practices. There are certain institutions that, uh, that are limited to, to certain groups. Uh, I don't want to start enumerating all of these. All I'm saying is that Article 6 of the Constitution explicitly states that Jordanians are not to be discriminated in front of the law, regardless of their ethnic origin, religion, or language even. Uh, I would add that uh, we need to also state uh, that regardless of gender, when it comes to the gender issue, we have uh, several, more than 10, uh, around 13 laws and regulations in the country that explicitly discriminate against women. Uh, That's not a formula uh, that bodes well for the future if we are, as I said, to move uh, to a modern country that is both stable and prosperous. Can you please talk about your personal experience when you tried to build a political party in Jordan a few years ago? My, my own experience you know, is not an encouraging one. We tried to build a secular, responsible, programmatic uh, political party that focuses on programs and not on uh, ideology, that focuses on uh, programs and not people or persons. Uh, and uh, we were fought right, left, and center. Uh, the, the, the ability of the system to, to be able to accept uh, political parties that over time uh, might share in decision-making is still not there. Uh, even though the declared uh, official position is that we need to transition to political parties, still face severe challenges if they are members of a political party. People uh, who are employed cannot exercise their right to political uh, organization without interference from the intelligence services. So in practice, uh, it is no longer sufficient for the state to say that uh, we want to move to a political party culture. The practices also have to be aligned uh, with uh, with that objective. When discussing the difficulties for students when you tried to establish a political party a few years ago, were these pressures they faced from rival political parties or forces within the Jordanian regime itself? Oh, yes. Yes. I, uh, I'm not talking about other political parties. Uh, I think the obstacles that the state itself puts uh, uh, in front of uh, political party development are numerous. Uh, the king uh, was very clear last year when he appointed the Royal Commission in stating that Jordanians should be free uh, to politically organize and that the country needs uh, to transition to political party uh, life. That needs now to be translated into all government institutions, including the intelligence services, falling in line and implementing what the king himself has stated. So I guess this is confusing for someone who isn't Jordanian. But if the king has been calling for many years strong political parties, and then individuals within the Jordanian government are then blocking such an effort, how does one understand this? Uh, It's indeed confusing. I I totally agree with you. It is confusing. I have a hard time myself uh, understanding this, but it is also a fact of life that not all arms of the government are keen to transition to political parties. And there are many ways of obstructing this. They don't have to say no to the king directly, but they have their own ways of trying to 
put enough obstacles in the process. When serving in the government, you were a major player in trying to advance political reform. So what happened in that 2004 and 2005 period? The king uh, asked for a formation of an inclusive national committee to bring about real uh, political, social and economic reform to the country because we were at a stage where it was clear that the status quo was not sustainable, that foreign aid cannot uh, really result in a vibrant, uh, self-reliant economy. And the committee, uh, which had members uh, from all sides of the political, economic and social spectrum, uh, recommended that uh, we need to move on, as I said, uh, reform in a holistic way, that we cannot talk about economic reform without also changing the electoral law, uh, producing more serious and more representative parliaments. And uh, when the committee tackled this issue, you know, the system just uh, was scared uh, of a reform process uh, that would result in them gradually losing their privileges and uh, stood uh, firm and succeeded in torpedoing the effort. So the individuals who blocked your efforts when you were serving as a minister in 2005, were these the same people, organizations, who then impeded your work to build a party over a decade later outside of the government? Yeah, it's the same. It's the same. I'm not, I don't talk just about individuals. There are systems in place. Uh, there is a way of governing in place. Uh, that uh, is fearful uh, so far of serious reform. Uh, these are manifested mainly by the intelligence services, but not just by the intelligence services. There is a conventional wisdom in Jordan uh, by most of the ruling establishment that says the, reform, the cost of reform is too high for the country to undertake. And like I said, and others subscribe to the opposite formula, we say that whatever the cost of reform, it's certainly lower uh, than maintaining the status quo. So what are the motivations for those looking to block political reform? I think the clear motive is that they don't want to lose their privileges. If the executive branch is dominant without uh, serious supervision uh, from uh, parliament, uh, then uh, they get privileges uh, that they won't get otherwise if there is a clear uh, supervision uh, of these practices. And uh, in the past, the excuse was that uh, allowing political party development might bring the Islamists to, to power, for example. Uh, but today it's becoming clear that it is not fear of the Islamists only, it's fear of any political party that might have a popular constituency and that might uh, one day win elections and, and run the government. It's interesting that you spoke optimistically at the beginning about the Royal Committee's current efforts to bring tangible political reform, given your concrete history with the difficulties in this effort. I don't talk in terms of optimism or, or pessimism. Frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm still very skeptical. All I've said is that uh, we've seen some positive uh, moves, particularly that uh, some of the recommendations made their way into law. But I remain very cynical about seriousness in implementing these recommendations. And until they are implemented, I, I'm not going to be uh, optimistic or pessimistic. I'll be a close watcher of these. For decades, Jordanians have been calling for an end to corruption. What tangible steps can be taken to bring this problem under control? Fighting corruption in a serious manner requires a strong parliament, uh, strong institutions uh, that are able to 
uh, check corruption practices when they uh, occur, that are able to monitor government's practices when they occur. And uh, we need some also legislative changes uh, so that public officials can declare you know, what their net worth is publicly before uh, everybody. There are legislative practices that need to be put in place and there are structural changes that need to be put in place, in particular having a strong parliament. We have been fighting corruption in an ad hoc manner, uh, which I don't think is effective if we are to tackle this problem uh, structurally and meaningfully. Early last year, you were quoted in Axios saying that President Biden would want to see political reforms in Jordan. Now that we are 18 months into the Biden administration, have we seen any evidence of U.S. pressure on Jordan regarding democratization efforts? No. I never said, by the way, that uh, I expected President Biden to apply pressure on Jordan. President Biden himself came with a mandate that said that he is going to place more priority on reform uh, than uh, in the past with uh, President Trump, that he was going to have a different relationship with countries like Saudi Arabia and Egypt, that he's going to ask for uh, you know more transparency in the governance uh, of these countries. Uh, we have not seen uh, that translated into action. President Biden is coming to the agent and it is becoming obvious. U.S. interests, such as uh, you know energy prices, such as uh, food prices, uh, such as uh, uh, a stand against Iran, are way more important to the United States than any calls for reform. So specifically from a Jordanian perspective, do you think it would be helpful if the Biden administration publicly promoted political reform efforts in Jordan? I, I never thought that uh, pressure from the outside works. I think this has to be an in-house process. We've seen such outside pressure in the past. President uh, George W. Bush called for a new Middle East and did apply some pressure. Uh, that just did not work. Uh, reform has to be homegrown. And, and so, you know, I don't expect and I don't wait for the United States to apply any kind of pressure. It, it has to be uh, a homegrown process. In addition to political reform, you also call for changes in Jordan's educational system. What do you mean here? Education is uh, going to be, in my view, the key factor that will determine the future, not just of this country, but of this region. If we are to transition to uh, prosperity, uh, if we are to create economic systems uh, that are more innovative, more creative, uh, that uh, use skills like critical thinking, acceptance of different points of view, the ability to do research, the ability to question what is being taught, all of these are values that are not taught in the present educational system with the result that uh, most people are not equipped to uh, not just uh, be part of the market force, but not equipped to deal with life in general. We have a very youthful re uh, region. 70% of people in this region are under 30 years of age. Uh, present economic and political systems are not able to create enough jobs for them because these systems are based on patronage and not based on productivity. Without an education system that changes all of that and that places more importance on the values that I uh, just described, without such an education system, the region cannot hope to create economic systems that are able to deal 
with the large amount of people that are trying to enter the workforce every year. Thank you very much, Dr. Mwasher. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. That was former Jordanian Foreign Minister Mohan Mwasher. Here's what else you should know this week. CNBC released a portion of an interview on Friday with King Abdullah saying that he would support a Middle East NATO. He called for the mandate for such an organization to be very clear. On Sunday, the Wall Street Journal reported that a senior Jordanian military commander met in Sharm el-Sheikh with UAE, Israeli, US, Saudi, and Egyptian military officers in March to discuss confronting Iran's missile program. In other news, Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman visited Amman on Tuesday for his first meeting with King Abdullah since the April 2021 Prince Hamza sedition affair. King Abdullah recently accused Basama Wadella, a former close advisor to MBS, of being a traitor, and a Jordanian court sentenced Awadella to jail for 15 years. Jordan's king gave MBS the Hussein bin Ali medal, the country's highest civilian honor, and a tangible sign that the countries were publicly looking forward to putting the affair behind them. In a joint statement after the meeting, both countries vowed to prevent Iran from obtaining nuclear weapons and fight terror. Saudi Arabia also affirmed Jordan's custodianship over Jerusalem holy sites. Finally, many citizens across the Hashemite kingdom were outraged on Thursday when a female Jordanian student, Iman Rashid, was killed on campus. The Amman shooting was compared to a killing that same week of another Egyptian woman, Nayara Ashraf, near her university. Jordanian authorities issued a gag order on the sensitive case, and activists have called for increased protection for Jordanian women. Before I go, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts to be notified of new episodes, and feel free to listen to previous week's episodes on social media apps in Jordan with Ashraf Zaytoun and the Kingdom's Muslim Brotherhood with Professor Vagmakers. Finally, if you're listening to the podcast, especially if you live in Jordan and think you'd be a great guest, please reach out to me on Twitter at Aaron Magid or via email aaron.magid1 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.